Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Peter Tanner of MoneyPuck.com. He is the man behind a website that uh, a lot of people are attracted to, especially around this time of year with the playoff races going on. And (laughs) you probably deal with it day to day since you put out uh, probabilities per game. I'm assuming a lot of people are on your case about uh, why do you hate my team? Why do you uh, love that team? Why does my team have a 10% chance of winning tonight? Yeah, for sure. A lot of people think think I'm from Boston, actually. Really? Which is strange because I hate the Bruins. <laughs> but it's very, very, very common. Even la- last year, the uh, model was very keen on Boston uh, go- going into the uh, playoffs, mo- mostly because they were playing the Senators in the first round, and the model hated Ottawa. Uh, so it actually had the Bruins with with the best odds to win the, uh, the uh, Stanley Cup last year. That obviously didn't happen, but this year they're looking pretty good. Yeah, we'll get to the Bruins in a bit. So it's Monday, just to set the table here. It's Monday, we're in Toronto, we're sitting here, we're going to talk a lot of hockey. But first, uh, let's talk about sort of your path and and how you ended up running moneypuck.com, how you ended up caring about hockey analytics and and the probability of... uh, of, of teams winning night by night, of teams winning a playoff round, making the playoffs in the first place. You also have a player part uh, on your website. You have a power ranking. So you've built a lot of things into this website. Uh, how did you get involved in hockey analytics to start? Because I feel like, you know, you put yourself out there as moneypuck.com, and there's, although your face is out there a little bit, a lot of people don't know anything about you. So how did it all start? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So I, I studied math in school, so I've always been a uh, numbers person. I, mean, I think one of the first origin of it, I think it was watching the, the uh, Super Bowl many years ago, and they had a win probability graph, in-game win, win probability. This is probably back in like 2010, 2011. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if something like that exists for hockey. And at, at, at the time, uh, it uh, certainly didn't. Um, so I, I made a website based off of that. Very simple, just in-game win probability. Um, every home team started with 55% odds. Very simple, just based off the uh, score and time left. Uh, what's the probability that the home team will uh, win? So, so, so that's how it got started. When is this? What year? Um, this probably started working on it in in uh, 2013, okay, when I so I first started to write, to write some, some actual and, code for it. And I'm assuming you're looking up online at the blogs and at, at what's going on in, in the hockey community, because that, yeah. at that point was sort of when things were turning in, turning more mainstream, right? There was... Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that's like the, the days when, when Corsi was huge, like that was the number one, almost only advanced stat. Um, so I tried, you know, learn, learning about that and, and integrating that in uh, our uh, models. Um, but again, it was very, very, very simple. So, so that's how I started out. 
Uh, and the website pretty much like ran like that for about a year or two. And then but I started to realize like it was kind of a bit silly that like the home team always started with 55% odds. Like that's not really true in most games. It seemed, um, it seemed just a little too simple. Yeah, a little yeah. too simple. So I thought, well, to fix that, you need to build a pre-game prediction model, right? And that was actually a lot of work. Uh, so it involved scraping about a decade's worth of NHL data, uh, figuring out what variables are actually predictive of, of uh, winning future games. Uh, and one variable that just doesn't uh, go and pop up is your, your win-loss record. So that was like one thing that was like, oh, maybe there's something to all this, this hockey advanced stat stuff. Um, so the original model was mostly Corsi based, uh, some stuff with, with say per percentage as well, um, as well as a share of, uh, of uh, penalties, which is still in, in the uh, current model. Um, so that was probably the, the first large leap in it. Um, so like some teams started with a 40% chance of winning or some people started with a 60% a, a chance of winning. Um, and as games goes on, that the, the weighting of the pregame component gets less and less. So even if, um, say, the Bruins are playing the Coyotes in, in uh, overtime, it's still 50-50. Okay. Interesting. And so you, you get involved in this and you start working on a model. Um, did any of it you know, involve a lot of you? Because you have a math degree. Uh, you work in the financial sector. So moneytalk.com isn't exactly your your day job. We'll put it that way. Um, and then you also got got involved with uh, the data side of President Obama's uh, 2012 election campaign. Like, do, does it all sort of come together to you where Money Puck is like your, your you know, you obviously love hockey. And, yeah. then, and then your job is very data-based. You, you are a data scientist. Did one day you just go, hey, let, let, let's put this together on a website. Let's share the share the wealth here and share the, the good news? Or, Yeah, I think, to be honest, it was kind of fun, right? And I and I wanted to uh, know if it was for my own use. Like, if a team's up by two goals with 12 minutes left in the second period, like, how often do they, they, they actually win? Because I've always gotten, like, annoyed kind of watching hockey and the announcers have incentive to to hype up how close the, the game is, the chance of a comeback. I'm like, well, is that really true or not? Um, so it's almost just for my own my own interest and and my own own own, own use to start out. So really, yourself, which is what yeah, really, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, this this year's playoff race because there's 15 to 18 games remaining, depending on the team. Uh, that's heating up, and I, I want to go by by conference, east and west, and and get your opinion, maybe away from the model, away sure. from Money Puck, as well as what Money Puck says. But first, let's talk about, I sort of said it in passing there, you work for uh, under President Obama in some sense on his on his election campaign. What exactly did you do and what was that experience like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was very f uh, fortunate for work, to work for President Obama in 2012. Um, so much like hockey teams that have a salary cap and trying to use their salary cap in the, the most efficient way, pres presidential campaigns have a budget too, albeit bigger, about a billion dollars. And they want to use their budget in the most efficient ways to get votes. Uh, and it's a little, a little bit more, more complicated because votes in certain places are worth more than votes in other places. Um, so there's tons of, anal of analytics that go into basically figuring out how to optimize your budget 
uh, to maximize the probability of you getting 270 electoral votes, which is the number you need to become president. Were you part of just a massive, I would imagine the resources were substantial. Yeah. So uh, there were about 50 data scientists that worked for Barack Obama, and that was actually a big increase from 2008. In 2008, he had about a four or five person team. Wow. And basically what happened in the 2010 midterms, uh, the more gut-based folks in the Democratic Party were much more optimistic uh, than the, the data folks. Um, and the Democrats basically got wiped out in, in uh, the uh, 2010 elections. That actually uh, bought the analytics folks a lot of credibility going into uh, 2012. How does how do you a guy from Toronto? I, I don't know if you have any links to the states, but how do you end up? Yeah, uh, it, you're based in Chicago, right? Yeah, I was based in Chicago. I'm actually a, a dual citizen. Okay, um, that makes sense. So I'm originally from St. Catharines, but I mostly hey, grew up in the U.S. I, I grew town. up in Grimsby. Nice, right down nice, the road. good okay. town. Uh, so I mostly grew up in Pennsylvania and Maryland. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm dual there. Uh, and I had some connections to folks that were doing data stuff for the, uh, the uh, Democratic Party. It sounded like a really uh, cool opportunity. Um, like I love data, I love U.S. politics, uh, so it was a great, a great, great fit, really. So I was very, very, very lucky. And like you just apply and um, yeah, so I applied. It uh, seems like such sort of a yeah. a random yet once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, uh, for, for, for sure. So I applied, um, I had to basically write a, a online take home test. Um, and then after that, I had some uh, interviews and then I, I went out to Chicago in, in early 2012 and stayed there through, through election day. And now you and Obama text every day, or no, no, no. no. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming you didn't even meet him, right? Uh, actually, I met him a, 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 a few times, actually. Okay, so cool. He, he would swing swing by the the, the office a few times. Uh, actually, I think uh, like a couple events that really stood out is the day after election day, when when he won, he came to the office uh, to the head, headquarters in, in Chicago. Um, he went around. Actually, gave every staffer a, a hug, which which was great. Best hug ever. Um, <laughs> Best hug ever. I like it. Uh, and then at at the inauguration, he actually had like a reception at uh, the uh, the White House as well. So I was able to to talk to him briefly then then uh, too. Very cool. Yeah. So you were yeah you were right in there on the ground floor, so to speak. Yeah, it was very fascinating uh, to be in that that situation. It was also, was having access to like a ter- tremendous amount of, of data. Uh, presidential campaigns spend a lot more on polling data than newspapers can. Uh, so just the the richness of, of that data and being able to know so much about a U.S. Pre- 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 excuse me, a U.S. presidential election that may not be uh, public. Yeah, I just I'm just picturing you being part of this army of data scientist that it's sort of like it's sort of like uh what's the word you know you show up and you guys all of your own you know normal jobs we'll call it and you show up and your resource base is just through the roof and i'm assuming at least the first few days you're sort of like running on adrenaline where you're like this is pretty awesome like i get to do this i get to do that because sometimes you're limited by what you can access or whatever your company's resources are right yeah, for sure. Actually, I was uh, quite impressed by just their level of data quality. So in hockey, the data quality is, is not great. Uh, but in U.S. presidential elections, they really have the, the resources to uh, clean it up. Like a lot of times, like p- 
people will be registered registered to vote in multiple places, their date of birth wrong, stuff like that. So they really spend a lot of time and effort to ensure that you actually have high data quality, which makes the role of a analyst much, much easier. Okay. All right, well, let's transition into hockey. Let's start with the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, yeah, why not, right? We're both in Toronto here. Are you a Leafs fan, by the way? Uh, I'm a Leafs fan. I'm not like Are a... Are you a Pittsburgh fan because you grew no, up? No, no, no. Uh, well, I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania. So okay. I actually uh, grew up a Flyers fan ah. during the uh, Lindros days. Okay. Yeah, so that... Uh, some, 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 some mixed emotions there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. He played for Toronto, so I guess... Yeah. Know, it all it all comes for a full circle. Okay, Eastern Conference. So this is it's Monday evening. The games haven't started on Monday. So um, right now, Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto are in the three spots for the Atlantic. In the Metro, we have Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, and then the two wild cards are New Jersey and Columbus. Uh, Florida is one point back of Columbus. Carolina is two points back. And the Isles and the Rangers are both five points back of Columbus. Um, your website likes Florida's chances of, of making yeah. the playoffs. Ple- plead well, your your plead your, your website's sure, case. Sure. So the Panthers have a lot of games in hand. That's pre- pretty much the largest dri- driving factor. Um, that's probably like one big discrepancy I, be- I see between random people on on Twitter and 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 TV um, and the actual analytics. Um, it's pretty simple. You, yeah. You just have to look at the games played. So Florida has played 63, and by comparison, uh, Toronto's played 67. That's that's at the top end in the Eastern Conference, at least among the playoff teams. Um, and Columbus, the team that they're chasing, has played 66. So three games in hand, and you're chasing uh, a team that's only three points ahead. Uh, yeah. You don't exactly have to win out to yeah, actually exactly. make the playoffs. And you do the math, uh, an average team gets about 1.1 points per a game because of uh, loser points. Um, so all else being equal, the Panthers would be uh, ahead of the, the Blue Jackets. But clearly more goes into, into your model. Do you mind explaining how your model spits out these, these probabilities and why... They, why it thinks that you know Florida should be in, and you mentioned the games in hand, but there's other reasons. Yeah, for sure. So basically, what the model tries to do is simulate the rest of the N- the NHL season. So it actually runs every night 100,000 simulations of the rest of the N- NHL season, uh, and it basically uses all those pre-game odds to simulate each game. Right. So in some simulations, the Leafs will will win their next game, and some they'll. Uh, right uh, and the pregame model is mostly driven off of expected goals uh, and basically expected goals is similar to Corsi but weighted for how high quality your uh, shots are so uh, like a shot from 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 the point when you're shorthanded is worth very little but a rebound shot from in front of the, uh, the net is, is worth tons plus I know the angle of the shot yeah that's the right distance uh, what type of shot, slap shot, wrist shot, snapshot, whatever, that all weighs into it. And it seems like your website versus some others out there, or just the way that the hockey community views standings and probabilities and everything, I feel like yours is the one that's really championing uh, expected goals. 
Yeah, I, mean, I could be wrong, but that's sort of my. Yeah, take. I think uh, I think expected goals have become more mainstream in the uh, last couple of years. Um, there, there are a lot of ways where expected goals can can screw up, which I think where some of the the hesitancy goes and comes from, um, because so much of it is driven by the lo- location of shots. Um, in each in each rink in the NHL, uh, there's actually bias in where they they place each shots. Uh, Madison Square Garden is notorious for having shots that, uh, in reality, were further away from the goal. Interesting. Than they were, Recorded, which actually makes Henrik Lund- Lundqvist looks big, look, looks better than he he actually is, though he is certainly a great goalie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so there's actually been some great research by some academics. Michael Shuckers is, is one um, that has uh, come up with a algorithm to basically adjust for shot locations. Um, and once you do that, uh, my analysis has shown that expected goal is actually more predictive of future winning than, than Corsi. Yeah, that's what I like about expected goals is that it's, I don't want to say Corsi on steroids, but it's sort of the, the it's an evolution of Corsi. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it makes more sense in terms of predicting the future or, or evaluating a team um, and giving it you know, a proper grade. So say the Bruins, your website is very high on the Bruins. So is Corsi. But I feel like when you watch the Bruins, the eye test lines up with what the advanced stats are saying in terms of the way that they dominate play, uh, the type of chances that they're getting, you know, in general, their baseline for uh, quality of shot is very high, a lot Mm -hmm. in the slot, a lot just around the net in general. And they also have guys who finish, which... Uh, we can talk about a bit later on the individual level, um, but I feel like some people might look at Boston and go, even the games in hand thing comes in, into play here. They they have 88 points. Tampa Bay has 94, but Boston has uh, a three games in hand. So you mm-hmm. figure there is a chance that they might win the Atlantic, which oh, is, cra- sure. which is yeah. crazy considering Tampa through the first half of the season was... Uh, far and away the best team in the Atlantic and it seemed like oh that's locked up it's not locked up at this point and there was a point when Toronto had the second spot in the Atlantic and it seems okay you know there's a chance that Boston catches them but now they're actually uh, they have a little bit of a cushion three points but also four games on on Mm -hmm. Toronto so Boston is one team where it all sort of makes sense to me from seeing the the analytics the the advanced stats and whether that's expected goals or Corsi or whatever else, um, you know, luck in terms of uh, PDO. And all, when it all mm-hmm. sort of comes together and then you watch the team and you see the players that they're actually putting out there, they're, they're absolutely a contender for the Stanley Cup in my eyes. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, most of the time, good analytics should line up with the, the eye test. A good rule is, like, 80% of it should be common sense and 20% of it should be insight and, and surprise. Um, so it, it is it, it is probably a good sign that the eye test goes and, and lines up with, with uh, Boston. Where do you stand on the Eastern Conference in terms of who the real horses are? Because on paper, it's Tampa, Boston. People are sort of sleeping on Washington, I bet, because yeah. of their playoff, uh, I guess, woes over the years. But... They're, they're quietly actually having a, a pretty good season. Pittsburgh has come along, um, and they're sort of the opposite of Washington, where people are giving yeah. them a lot of credit, a lot of uh, leash, we'll say, because they've had so much success, especially winning two years in a row. Um, 
And then you have Philly, you have New Jersey, you have Columbus, you have Toronto. Uh, as we alluded to, Florida is still in the mix, as are uh, Carolina. So aside from Tampa and Boston, any teams that stick yeah, out? Yeah, so uh, the money puck model really prefers the Penguins versus the, the Capitals. And maybe there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one is that Pittsburgh, even though they had like a poor first half, have really come, come on strong. And the model weights recent play a lot more than than, old, than older games. Um, also, wa- Washington had actually been a really lucky team this year. Okay. So their expected goals has, has, has been very, very low, like below playoff team low, uh, but they've gotten great goal tending. Um, and they've actually won a lot of, 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 of a very close games. So um, Neil Greenberg of uh, the Washington Post put yep. stat, for, I forgot the exact stat, but the amount of one goal games they've, they've won is just incredible. Um, so they rarely will win by two or, or, or three goals, but they've gotten, gotten lucky in a lot of close games. It's literally like one bounce. Yeah, for one, sure. Won them two points versus either one or zero. And if you have a couple good bounces, you're all of a sudden sort of on a pedestal that you maybe shouldn't be on. Like Obviously, the, the, the point of hockey is to win games, and if you're winning a lot of games, you must at least be decent. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day... If you want to, if you want to look at the process of it all, one goal games is is it's a very rudimentary thing to look at, but it's also I think it's pretty important. If if a team's just constantly on the wrong end of one goal games, you got to give them a little slack. You got to give them a little okay. Well, maybe you know in the last fifteen games that that goes back in the other direction. The pendulum swings, and they become the team that comes out yeah, on top. Yeah, for sure. And especially the quality of each team is, is so close. So I have the Boston Bruins currently as the best team in the National Hockey League, but they only have a 57.4% chance of beating an average NHL team, which is so slightly... You're talking about like night to night? Uh, from, 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 from night to night in a, ther- in a theoretical neutral zone game, right. they have a 57% a 57.4% chance of beating an average team, right? A lot of people would probably think it would be closer to like 90, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's very, very close. There's so much luck in hockey. And even if you look at the worst teams, the Sabres, the Canucks, the Phoenix Coyotes, at, at low end, the worst teams have about a 40% chance of beating an average team. That's why it's so hard to bet on hockey. I used to do that in university. I'd go get Proline and... Hockey was my sport, so I'd bet on hockey, and I would I would never win because it's like on a random night. Yeah, for sure. The 30th place team can beat the the eighth place team or, or whatever the the matchup is. Yeah, and in general, my advice to people is to not bet on individual games. The market is quite efficient, and then with products like Proline, there's so much padding built into the odds. Uh, in uh, the long run, you're you're never going to win. Yeah, that that, that should be a slogan for gambling in general. In the long <laughs> run, you're never going to win. Um, yeah. Like let's talk about Peter Tanner's favorite teams in in the Eastern Conference. Like I know that Money Puck has its opinions and and we should point out that Money Puck runs on a model. It's automatic. But what about you? Like do you have any any gut feelings or just, you know, maybe something that your your model doesn't account for that you think is important at this point in the season? Yeah, well, that's a a, a great question. Uh I do let the model influenced me a lot, um, but not completely. Uh, and I guess that's where your personal bias goes in. Like, I want the uh, Leafs to win, um, but that's more of an emotional re- reaction there. So it's, it's really hard 
to uh, to uh, claim that I have any evidence why they, they they should win more than the the model actually says. Do you like the but like is there a team like the Devils? Do you think like is there one team that's sort of a dark horse in your mind? Um, that's that's a tough one. Like like from like a gut perspective, you know, you really have to like the the Penguins because they're returning Stanley Cup champions. Uh, but uh, like in in the long term, like there's no evidence that actually that shows that winning the Stanley Cup last year actually increases your odds of, of winning the next year when when you can control for other factors. If anything, if you're thinking about it objectively, it would probably decrease it just based on wear and tear. Like if you're fresher, come the playoffs in this in year two. That's probably yeah, going to help. Point. Like it yeah. just seems to make sense. I understand that there's um, the line of thinking about um, teams that have had have gone far in the playoffs have have gone through sort of a battle and that they're stronger as a group. Sort of the intangible argument, and I do think that that factors in. It's very rare for a core group to just make the playoffs the first year and go all the way or go far. I feel like it is a bit of a gradual pr- progression for most teams historically. Yeah. Mind you, this is me off the top of my head. Yeah, I think there I mean, I think there was a 538 article on this. And basically, and the concept is is that teams that go far in the playoffs are likely to be good teams and they were probably a good team the year before and that's why they have playoff experience. Um, versus if a team with no playoff experience, they probably were a non-playoff team the previous year. Uh, so they're probably more likely to be a marginal playoff team. Just, just have have have, have gotten in. Uh, but I, I think that article just showed that uh, once you you control for records and, and other factors, not having playoff experience doesn't actually make make a difference or not. Interesting. Like, if we if we move towards the Western Conference and talk about who's important there. I feel like Nashville might be my my pick to come out of the West. I really like Winnipeg. I wanna yeah. I wanna like them, and and there's a sort of the Canadian bias that it would be nice for a Canadian team to go on a serious run. Um, but Nashville, well, one they're they're the top in the conference right now, so it's hard to argue against that. Ninety three points in sixty five games when a lot of teams in the conference have played uh, sixty six. Mm-hmm. So. You, you, you got to give them that. Um, very high goal differential. Uh, they're on an eight-game winning streak right now, so there's a bit of recency mm-hmm. bias from me. Uh, but also, they, they they added around the margins at the deadline. I thought they were smart to add a, a Ryan Hartman, and I guess Mike Fisher wasn't exactly uh, them giving yeah. up anything. But, but they bring in another uh, NHL-level player that can sub in uh, for replacement level player probably and then also uh, Eli Tolvanen is going to presumably come from the KHL when his uh, his season is over and it's hard to quantify or hard to peg what he's going to mean to that team but I feel like you add it all up and it's going to yeah, be very difficult point. to beat Nashville. Yeah and that is is one of the blind spots of the model like the model does not know that there's a KHL player com- coming in the future um, so it is limited in that sense. Uh, though overall, the model actually prefers the Winnipeg Jets over the the Predators, and the main reason for that is a lot of Nashville's success this year is, dri- is driven by goaltending, and Re- and Rene's been been awesome this year. Uh, one one of the top goaltenders in the entire league, um, his save percentage above expected is about point point eight. I saw uh, that among there. among yeah. regular goalies, he was at least f- yeah you know top three. Yeah. 
Uh, and the general uh, concept of the, the model is that great goaltending is less predictive of future wins than, than expected goals. This kind of makes sense because expected goals is driven by 18 skaters, um, which it's hard for them to all go on a slump at uh, the same time. But a, a goalie can have up, ups and downs very quickly. Um, and Nashville's goaltending was just average last year, right? Uh, with, 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 with the exact same goalie. Um, so maybe he ha- has had a, a, good, a good season, but it could change at, at any time. Yeah, the West is the West is is pretty wild to to fall back on a cliche. Like you have Nashville, Winnipeg in the Central. I don't think Minnesota is really in the same uh, sort of tier as them. And then the Pacific, it's been all over the place because Edmonton was supposed to be a good team. Calgary, you could argue, was supposed to be better. Um, but at the top right now, it's Vegas, eighty nine points in sixty five yeah. games. And then it dropped down 10 points all the way to San Jose, who uh, has played one more game but has 79 points. Um, and then Anaheim's in third, and then the wild cards are Dallas and L.A. Um, with Colorado one point out, St. Louis is two points out, and Calgary is four points out. And again, this is Monday night uh, before the games. What, what, what does your model think of Vegas? Has it have... Yeah, that, that's an interesting case study, right? Like this unknown team, and you know, you see, their underlying numbers has been, have been pretty good all year. They haven't been amazing, but they've been pretty good, have they not? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the money puck mo- model is going into the season basically when de- defaulted them to the odds of the, the five lowest teams. Very, very basic strategy. Uh, but going towards like the end of October, uh, the uh, model had them about 65% odds of making the uh, playoffs. Wow! So they were actually playing well. They had a good, good, good expected goals. It wasn't just luck. Um, so they actually are a really good team. Uh, they probably aren't the best team in the National Hockey League, but they're definitely top four. So who do you put? Who do you put in your in your top five then? So you have Vegas at four. Did you say Winnipeg was number one, or was that yeah. no Boston? So, was number one. so I have Boston as number one, right? Uh, but the Jets actually, according to the model, have the best odds of winning the the Stanley Cup. Okay. And the main reason for that is because Boston and Tampa Bay will likely have to play each other in the second round. So the Jets have a much easier path to the finals than, than Boston or Tampa Bay. So that means that Nashville would slot in at five. Actually, I have Nashville at six, wow. and the the Penguins at five. Okay. Yeah, your model loves the Penguins. Yeah, and that uh, it's always been big on the the Penguins. Actually, the first year I had the the uh, model going, going back a couple of seasons, it actually had them with the best odds to winning the uh, the Stanley Cup st- uh, starting in March, um, and 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 that was a bit of a surprise because they just made it into the the, uh, the playoffs. They also really got fortunate. Uh, that they got to play the New York Rangers in the first round that uh, season, which really boost, boosted their odds too. So there does in general tend to be a, a bit of a dis, discrepancy between how high quality the model thinks a team is and actually their odds of winning the, the uh, Stanley Cup. Because the playoff for, format really is, is, isn't fair. There's lots of luck. The best it's, teams, you can say it. It's stupid. It's not, it's, it's all, it's not fair, yeah. but it's also stupid. It, it is pretty stupid. Yeah, I'm not gonna put words in your yeah. mouth, but that, no, that seemed to be yeah, what yeah. you were you were thinking. Um, yeah. In, so in the East, if we can just backtrack a bit, sure. Um, the final spot in the Metro is 
is up to gra- up for grabs um, because you have Pittsburgh there, you have Philly there, and New Jersey conceivably could uh, could claim that third spot, and maybe Pittsburgh falls back, maybe Philly falls back, um, and also the two wild cards are are in play as well. And then so so there's some intrigue there down the stretch. Um, I think the top end teams in in the East are are more or less locked in. I don't think um, I guess I guess Washington could fall. Could fall further than, than say yeah, you know, second possible. or third in the metro. Yeah, I uh, like currently have the Capitals at about ninety nine percent odds of, of of making the playoffs. So there's still chance for <laughs> for them to collapse. You're, you're saying one percent is? Yeah, I guess it's like it's the possible, right? it's like the Dumb and Dumber line, right? You're saying there's a yeah. chance one in a million. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so, but realistically, um, there's a few spots up for grab in the East, and you could say the same for the West, um, where the way that the play playoff format or or the seeding format um, is laid out um, is that the final two spots in the Pacific are still very much uh, in play, and also the two wild cards. And obviously, the Pacific being as I don't know as as uh, as busy as as mediocre. I don't know what the word is, but yeah. a lot of teams in a that lot, sort of a lot of parity. Yeah, a lot of parity. That's the right word. It being the way that it is, um, which might not have been what everyone expected, but the way that that it's kind of all uh, trickled down to to this point in the season, uh, conceivably, uh, there could be a lot of movement over the the final stretch or the last month of the season. Yeah, for 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 for, for sure. Um, and in general, like the model had a lot more uncertainty this year than last year. And last year, most of the playoff spots were wrapped up, besides the the, the Leafs who took to the the, uh, the the very last weekend. Um, so basically, like, anything anything could happen in uh, the the uh, Pacific for sure. And then your model likes St. Louis. Yeah, it thinks so think that St. Louis is going to get in. Yeah, so I think that's one thing. From like my gut would disagree with that. Um, so uh, just from like a morale perspective, they they've been struggling a lot a lot recently. Um, their, their last few games, they've been playing horribly. Well, at the deadline, they they and traded they one of their best players, right? For sure. Um, so in terms of like that team's like own belief in them doing well is, is quite low, and on the flip side of that, my model really hates the An- the Anaheim Ducks, and this is one thing that I probably dis disagree with myself. Um, the only uh, thing that the model do- doesn't really like about them is that they have very few uh, reg- regulation and overtime wins, which is the first tie tiebreaker. So I think they also have about like twelve overtime losses. Um, so in terms of a tiebreaker scenario, they are like 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 likely to lose that. But overall, I think they are a much better better team than uh, my my model says. And also, they had a lot of injuries uh, in the earlier part of of the season that they mostly have recovered from. Um, does your model account for injuries? Like, does it have any idea when a, a star player goes down or when? Yeah. So basically, it doesn't know when it happens. Like, the team has to play future games and it right. learns how how that team is playing afterwards. Uh, but that is def, def, uh, definitely a flaw in it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked a few, or I asked Twitter to offer some questions, and one of them was about the Ducks. Uh, Listener Daniel Morlock, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, uh, he says, this is verbatim, how do the Ducks have a 12% chance of making the playoffs right now? Would love to know how that calculation works. So you sort of explained it, yeah. but I don't know if there's anything else to add about the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, like, 
the the model isn't a big fan of them. It has them as the 20th best team, below average expected goals. Um, they are actually a very un, undisciplined team as well. Um, they only get 44% of power play time. Um, so that's probably the, the main strikes uh, against them. Ha, ha, having said that, from a hockey fan perspective, I definitely think their odds are, are actually higher. So you're saying you don't hate the Ducks? I don't hate any team, <laughs> almost any team. How, how is Monty Puck's uh, Twitter mentions? Like, is it just people getting in there and saying, I can't believe you have my team at 10%? Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of that. There's actually an Instagram for Money Puck 2. Um, oh, right, yes. Which yes. the comments are far, far worse on. Interesting. Uh, I think Twitter attracts... That seems, like, that seems to go against conventional wisdom of those two mediums, but... You, you, you'd be surprised. I think Twitter uh, attracts at least a, a, a demographic that is fact-seeking okay. or information-seeking. Okay. Yeah. Instagram is just, like, just random people... Um, so most most of the feedback I get on Twitter, if if it's perhaps even mean spirited, they usually have a point. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, it's just like random stuff <laughs> with no. They're just ruthless it. on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Which team though just always pops up? Is it is it the Ducks? Um, Where the hate's coming from? Historically, Boston actually, especially like again, like I've been accused so many times of being from Boston. Uh, I think it goes back to to last year when the model loved Boston going into the first round with the best odds to win the the uh, Stanley Cup, and of course they they got uh, kicked out by the the Ascends. But again, like last year was more the the model hate hitting Ottawa than actually liking Boston. Yeah, we spoke in the middle of the playoffs. Uh, I wrote a story about how your your website and hockeyviz.com michael blake mccurdy who does great work on there great guy yeah great guy uh you guys you know throughout all these odds at the beginning of the playoffs you know after every series or sorry i should say after every round and there were a lot of upsets oh for sure so the the basis of the article was like this this postseason is a little nuttier than than usual and i remember the the mains or the lead or or the or the main team we talked about were the Ottawa Senators, who obviously mm-hmm. went almost to the Stanley Cup final, one goal away from the Stanley Cup final, when they, you know, according to say your model, yeah. wasn't weren't they even weren't... expected to have a chance yeah. in the first round. Same th- and same with with the New York Rangers too. They upset the Habs in the first round. That was a, a big up, upset as well. So actually, my my model did horrible last year in the playoffs. It got seven out of fifteen. Bad for right, business. Bad which for is, business. Which is worse than random. Worse <laughs> oh, than no. random, right? Uh, the season before, it went uh, 11 for 15, though, which is which is pretty good, actually. Um, let, let's talk about, speaking of, of the Stanley Cup playoffs, let's just run down who who is being uh, heralded by your model as, as the best teams in the league, the, the teams with the best odds to yep. win the Cup. And I'm assuming it factors in the playoff format or yeah for sure that's a huge driver again like going back a couple seasons ago it actually um, had the 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 LA Kings as the best team going into the the playoffs a couple years back Pittsburgh was fairly far down but again they got to play the New York Rangers in the first round which is basically a bye at least in, in that season so it actually had the Penguins with with the best odds that year right now and you, you mentioned this in passing, the Winnipeg Jets yeah. are at a 12.5% spot in terms of winning the cup according to Money Puck. And then uh, from there, Boston's at 10.3, Vegas and Tampa are tied at 
Um, and then we have Minnesota, which I, it seems high at 8.9, but that must have to do with the central uh, route. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, 7.8. Um, Nashville, 6.4. Toronto, 4.8. New Jersey, 4.2. Columbus, 4.1. I think that's 10 right there. Um, thoughts on all those odds? Yeah, I, the one thing that I will say about these odds is that they're all really low. Yeah, 12.5 is the highest, which seems to really illustrate that hockey is very random. Yeah. Anything can happen on any given night, and it's just so hard to predict. It's not like the NBA where, you know, the first round is you could probably, you know, it could be like if it's the one seed versus the eight seed, you can almost it's almost a 90% chance. Sure, I don't even yeah. know if how many upsets there have been one to eight over the years, whereas in hockey it's happened here and there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, 12.5, that seems like yeah. nothing. But you think of the Winnipeg Jets and, you know, let's say you forget about the numbers. If you ask someone on the street or, or even a hardcore hockey fan to give you a number off the top of their head, it's probably going to be higher than that. It's probably going to be closer to maybe 30 or, or 25 yeah, um, so I think that's one of the big differences between analytics and regular hockey folks, and even like betting websites. So I always give like advice for people betting on the playoffs is bet on the the underdog. Um, and, and and even if you look back to Presidents Trophy winners, like since the lockout, Presidents Trophy winners won the Stanley Cup twice out of what like 10, 10 11 seasons. Um, so it is really just a crapshoot. And it doesn't help that the NHL has set set up uh, the standings and set up the point structure so that, like you said, a team winning the President's Trophy is is it is it necessarily better than the tenth team in the in the league? No, because they could have just won a couple extra overtime games, yeah. and that that inflates their their statistics. And that doesn't surprise me that yeah, only probably, two have won since the lockout. Yeah, they're probably at least a few percentage points better than than the average playoff team so any team that makes the playoffs could win the stanley cup well nashville last year right yeah, they were the sure. last Very team close. um yeah vegas at, at 9.9 imagine an expansion team winning the stanley cup your model says they are tied for second in regards to uh the odds yeah, like that might sure. have to do with the Pacific. I'm assuming that yeah, it's, it's all it's about an in, in, in easier path as well. Again, like the the Bruins, Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay get uh, beat, beat beaten down by that. Um, so that's a much e- easier path. Um, if we can just talk, uh, you know, P- Peter Tanner yeah. to John Mattis. This is just a, a general uh, playoff topic. Do you think high-end talent, so having a bunch of superstar, superstars, or a group of superstars, I should say, will normally win out against a well-balanced, deep team? So, for two examples, let's say it's the Stanley Cup Final um, this, this spring or this summer, and it's Nashville as the deep team versus Tampa as the star-heavy team. You think of Nashville, you think they have a pretty solid top nine, a couple standouts with with Philippe Forsberg, with uh, with Ryan Johansson, a couple other guys that you could you know make the argument for. Obviously, a very elite defense. The top four is very good. Pekarene playing out of his mind, but you, I don't think anyone's going to argue that he's a. No one's going to say he's a bad goalie. So they're yeah. they're 
in every position, they're doing pretty well. And then you think of Tampa, you go Kucherov elite, Stamkos elite, Hedman elite. They're still deep, but I don't think they're as deep as Nashville. I guess you could uh, you could argue that. But in my opinion, that's a, a decent example of high end versus versus depth. Where do you land on on that? Yeah, um, I haven't thought too much about this. Like my my first reaction is that with depth would be more important, especially in the playoffs. There's always injuries, um, and at the end of the day, like you can only have five skaters on ice at at one time. The best players, you know, play 20 to 25 minutes a game. Um, so in general, like depth, I would say is 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 more important. That's just my opinion, though. I haven't really done any any analysis yet to actually go and prove that. Yeah, last year. With the Penguins winning with a defense that, let's say you you lined it up in a in a row and compared it to all at the time twenty nine teams in the NHL, without Chris Letang, it would probably be in the bottom ten. I would imagine they win the Stanley Cup, which sort of throws a wrench into things and in conventional thinking. Except you go, okay, they have Sidney Crosby, they have Evgeny Malkin, they have Phil Kessel, all on different lines. Um, so there's sort of the depth argument, yeah. at least at forward. Yeah, and Murray played great in the, in the finals. Like, the, the Predators really outshot them in almost every, every game. Um, so, again, there was probably some, some luck involved there as well. Speaking of luck, um, on Money Puck, you also have uh, a player's section. Yeah. Um, and I like the part, or I like the column that has uh, goals above expected. And uh, it, it kind of it, I like it because it shows that some guys are just elite level scorers that they they score um, higher than than is expected as exactly what the the column says that they're scoring more than than they should in this ideal universe that mm-hmm. expected goals uh, factors in. Um, but then there's also the guys who you think are they getting lucky? Are they riding this incredible wave? Um, so I'll read off a couple. At leading the list is William Carlson at 11.9 goals above expected. Nikita Kucherov at 9.7. Nick Schmoltz at 8.9. Brock Besser at 8.8. Austin Matthews, 8.6. And then you go down the list. Yeah. Um, Alex Ovechkin, who I believe must do this every year, 7.5. He's in He's in the top 10. Um, do you mind explaining the yeah, equation sure. there? So with expected gold model... Um, it, it doesn't go and factor in the historical shoot, shooting talent of that individual player. So if I'm taking a shot in the NHL from 20 feet feet out, it thinks it has the same probability of going in as if Ovechkin was taking it. Uh, that's not always true, right? Uh, and there definitely are, are players that have far above average shooting talent. Ovechkin would wish only be one. Kucherov, Matthews. Yeah, so uh, Ovechkin, I think last year he's pretty much on target for expected goals, but the year before he, he greatly exceeded it as well. Um, I think and, and, and Malkin is always above average. Carlson, however, uh, my general take on him is he's had a very lucky season. So in his two previous seasons with the, the Blue Jackets, he was uh, at... At, he's actually at expected goals um, or a little bit uh, under. So I think he's had a great run with with the Golden Knights, but next year uh, he probably won't be uh, 12 goals above, above expected. We should mention, too, it's five on five that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, sure. We're not including special teams. Yeah. Um, so in, in, in general, uh, when 
comparing players, like five on five is usually a better way of doing it. Um, just because some players get much more power play ice time than, than other players do. Another listener question is from Matt Orr. How much more predictive could expected goals models be with player tracking data? I don't know if you have the answer to this. That, that would be awesome. Um, and one flaw with the current expected goal model is that an event only occurs when a player actually takes a shot, right? So you can imagine a player on a breakaway who fumbles the puck at, at the last second, there's no actually shot recorded there, right? In my model, that counts as zero expected goals, right? But with, with that player skating in, there's definitely like above zero chance of uh, him scoring. So with that, that type of data, you could actually build an expected goal model at any point in uh, the game, not when just a shot is, is occurring, right? So you can see the, expected, the change in expected goals when a player uh, gets over the, the blue line, when a turnover happens at any, at any event, right? So you could almost compare it to any points in time and see the increase and decrease in, in expected goals, right? So that at that point, you could almost get close to a, a, attributing the individual effects of players' decisions uh, on the future probability of scoring on that shift. Also with player data, and I don't know if this would, eh, this would factor into expected goals, uh, just the spacing or the pressure from the defense. Like yeah. this is stuff that we, you know, unless you're watching the game, you have no idea. If you're just looking at the data, a shot is a shot in a lot of ways. Yes, we factor in distance, angle, yeah. type of shot, but there's so many other variables yeah, so that so, are so not missing. You can't see if there there's a screen. Oftentimes, going back to the the breakaway example, like oftentimes you can't even tell if a player was on a breakaway or not. That's huge data that's missing. Yeah, a guy shoots. He might be on a breakaway, but he shoots it from the slot. That seems like. Um, a lower percentage shot than maybe one right in front of the crease. But, I mean, the guy's on a breakaway. That's a yeah, pretty high percentage shot. Exactly, yeah. Um, another listener question from Ian Tolick uh, of the Leafs Geeks podcast, who, uh, who has been on this podcast, friend of the show. Uh, he says, what do you think is the biggest thing we're missing in the public sphere? And he lists a few. Uh, is it passing data? Is it odd man rush data? Is it some sort of data that quantifies screens or net traffic. So sort of what we're talking about, but what yeah. do you think is the one that we're missing? Yeah, I was going back to the, the, the tracking data, not even like player tracking data, but like if I just had, had data on where the puck was every second, like that would solve most of this. Because then you could identify was this breakaway or not. You could identify ton, ton, tons and tons of things. Uh, even, even if you didn't have the, in, the individual player uh, locations as well. So I think ideally uh, with, uh, with tech that will get all of this data, it's just a question whether it will be publicly accessible or not. I think personally, Odd Man Rushes is an interesting one because the pre-shot movement involved in Odd Man Rushes mm -hmm. is something that we're sorely missing in terms of how it weaves into, say, expected goals or how it weaves into even just a shot on goal or a shot attempt. Um, clearly, when it's a two-on-one, even though, you know, maybe the player makes the wrong decision and takes a shot when he shouldn't have, but when the right decision is made, yeah. it's basically an open net and you're going at a decent speed. You know, you're, you're sometimes you're on your off wing, so it's basically a tap. And yeah. like, there's so much there with yeah. odd man rushes that and I that, feel like we're that'd missing. That would be awesome. And then with some of that type of, of data, you could you could say, should this player have passed or not, right? Which which would be 
just amazing to say this player added point two expected goals by passing. Yeah, get get thrown a bone to to playmakers out there. Yeah. Right? and that's the thing with passing data too that we have seen to some extent with uh, with micro tracking um, is that listen there's 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 a lot involved in in a shot on goal or even a shot attempt. There's a lot that happens before then, which say Corsi doesn't account for. Corsi is simply what's happening when the puck is released mm-hmm. from the stick. But how does that, you know, who, who's giving the yeah. shooter the puck? Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit more work with that. So one thing I'm working on now is called um, expected goals from expected rebounds. So I'll just Yeah, I saw that. And I, 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 yeah, do you mind going through it? Yeah, sure. So just like the concept of expected goal, which is the probability that when you shoot, uh, the puck will go in the, uh, the net, you can basically use the exact same data to build a model that predicts the probability that the shot uh, will cause a, a rebound, so a second shot after the first one. So with, again, with that hypothetical second shot, you can also have a probability of that being an expected goal, right? So there's actually some shots, like say shots from bad angles or shots from, from the point, that actually have um, a lower expected goal themselves uh, than the expected goals from the possible rebounds of those shots. Right. So that's sort of adding another layer to your expected goals equation. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the uh, the uh, term I, I, I tried to, to, to call for it is created expected goals. Okay. Um, so basically it's trying to give credit to the player that took the shot that caused the rebound versus the, the rebound shot itself. Um, so this stat really gives ben, uh, a lot of benefit to defensemen uh, that take a lot of shots that are likely cause re- rebounds, but not the shot going in directly itself. Well, it's I love when this happens when a hockey, an old school hockey term, an old school hockey saying comes through in analytics. Like you always hear, throw the puck on net, or just get it, you know. Just, just get it on the net as fast as possible, or you know, a low shot so that it creates a rebound. Like that's essentially yeah. what what this model would be rewarding is is I don't know Morgan Riley throwing the puck on net and nice and low so that it has a chance to either be tipped or for there to be a rebound. Yeah, for sure. Um, and players uh, that do well in the stat are like folks like Eric Carlson, um, who else? Uh, Rick Rick Nash, actually. Um, Brent Brent Burns. Um, P, PK Subban, so a lot of like high-profile defensemen that are known for offense creation. That makes sense, and I, it like it all just sort of lines up. I'm picturing Carlson, uh, you know, identifying that there's guys in front. If I just throw this near the goal, yeah, good things sure. will happen. Um, whereas some defensemen either won't have a quick enough release or or sort of the capabilities as a player to either identify it or to actually do it. They might identify it, and by the time they do it, it's blocked or something. But the fact that Carlson and those types of guys rank highly, it all sort of makes sense to me. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I'm glad you, you brought up block shots, because that's one uh, gap in expected goals models, is when the NHL records a block shots, they actually go and record it where the player blocked it versus where the shot took place. Um, so we actually don't know where 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 the player was taking those shots. So in most expected goal models, those shots are just uh, thrown thrown away. They're obviously always behind or further away from the net. Well, at least 
you would think most yeah. of them are. But but yeah, okay, okay, that's a bit of a a bit of a twist in, yeah. in the story. So most effective goal models just use shots on goal uh, and and miss shots. Okay. Um, do you have anything coming down the pipe with with Money Puck? Are there is there anything you're working on that isn't necessarily out there yet? Yeah, um, I'm planning to add more more player level stats um, stuff like uh, ice time. Um, there actually saw a quote I get who it was, but uh, some like some some player was saying it was trying to bash Corsi that like some players try to try to game Corsi and they always like. Will shift off like on on on, on man rush the the uh, other way. So uh, I'm working on some stats to see what happens the few seconds after a player okay. leaves leaves dice on uh, the, the the fly to see if um, their coursey uh, or the course that happens right after a player leaves leaves ice or is higher um, or lower than their their regular coursey or or expected goals. It's kind of like a. It's not coursey relative, but sort of in the same vein. You're yeah. on and off, sort of uh, statistic. Yeah, basically looking if uh, when you're you're changing off the fly, do uh, you you leave the ice in 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 a good spot or or a worse spot? Okay, that's interesting. Is that is that something that's gonna be released sooner? Is it is it just an idea at this point? Uh, no, uh, the 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 data for it is actually in the back in the website. I just haven't done the the, the visualization for it yet. Okay, cool. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, what What's next with you? That's a, a question from RD, RDJ oh, yeah? on Twitter. Um, he said, simply, what's next for Peter Tanner? Yeah, that's a I don't know question. if that means, like, are you looking for an NHL job or are you looking to expand Money Puck? Are you going to retire from the analytics game? I think that's where that's headed. Yeah. So uh, RDJ is a good friend of mine. I, oh, seriously? I, I, I used to used to, <laughs> to, to work with him. Okay. He's now a very smart analyst at Google Okay. in, uh, in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, I'm really just happy what, what I'm doing now. I do Money Puck in um, my, my, my spare time. Um, so I, I think, you know, same old, same old for me. RDJ coming in with the the sly question, yeah. but I got an answer out of you, yeah. so it was a, it was a good one. Um, how can I get? I guess people their best uh, route to, to find your stuff would just simply type in moneypuck.com. That's right. And you guys are on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Twitter and, uh, and Instagram too. So just search for uh, moneypuck, and and you'll definitely find it. All right. Thanks for coming in, Peter. All right. Thanks, John.